trying you're to pick here a ball, trying in to the pick night up. with Jaime Lopez Jr. Yes. How's it going? We're going to spin some great tunes for That's you. That's right. DJ taking you through the night. Yes. You just sit back, relax, open up a beer, and enjoy the More Than Jesco podcast. Way more than Jesco tonight. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 109 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I'm currently in West Tennessee and I'm joined once again by Aaron Vay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello there. And we also have Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? <laughs> how's it going? You guys, how's, you guys how's like how's that one, huh? I did. I did like that one. That was, that was bedroom eyes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Trying, trying You're to pick here in the night up. with Jaime Lopez Jr. Yes. How's it going? We're going to spin some great tunes for That's you. That's right. Your DJ taking you through the night. Yes. You just sit back, relax, open up a beer, and enjoy the More Than Jesus Code podcast. Way more than Jess Code tonight. Okay, so let's, uh, let's talk. Okay, let's, let's talk. Let's, uh, let's, I'm going to uh, preempt the other topics that I had with the one that I, I think took up quite a bit of mind sharing this past week. Dropbox. Do you guys oh. use Dropbox? Um, yeah, I do mm-hmm. not as much as I used to, and I, and I did see some of your tweets, and I'm curious. So, give her. Um, give her. So, just to back up on what happened in the past week, it came out that Dropbox, the Mac application, has been taking liberties with the way that your Mac's accessibility system works. Um, it was first assumed that Dropbox was, uh, during installation, using a fake permissions dialog box to take your system password and store it somewhere. And the evidence that was initially gathered to support that contention was the fact that if you go to your system preferences, um, accessibility settings, I'm going to go there myself right now. So am I. Yeah. We're all going to go there together. Um, and you go to security and privacy Yes. And then in security and privacy, there's an accessibility tab. On the right are a list of apps that have permission to directly interact with your computer. And it is for accessibility purposes. Okay. So the the only way apps are supposed to make it into this dialogue is when they directly ask you permission. I, uh, and, and you've probably seen this before with some apps, and I'm trying to think of one that does this. Um, well, keyboard uh, screen hero, Can, screen keep, hero. Yeah. Well, keyboard okay. maestro as well. Yeah. Okay. And the, what they'll do is when you're installing the app, it'll put up a dialogue that says, listen, we need to, uh, m- let you activate me in the accessibility dialogue in the accessibility settings, because we want to be able to control your computer in such and such a way. And you actually have to go into this security panel in your system preferences and in order to yep. and authenticate and then add it and then set it. So it's on, right? So it is extremely interventionist on your part as a user. Um, you know, like apps cannot do this for you um, because it is such a critical feature that if an app has this access, it can literally do anything it wants with your system. So just to uh, sort of frame the danger that's at stake here, okay? So here's what Dropbox has done, and I'll tell you what they've actually done. Um, they, they don't actually take your, your password. Uh, it is 
legitimate that they are using a system dialogue to get your password and getting heightened permissions for a period of time. What they do with those heightened permissions is install something in the library level of your of your hard drive, which is a secure zone, right? If you go down to the root of your hard drive and go to slash library, that stuff is outside of your user directory and therefore is under the domain of root or sudo if you're ever going to interact with this stuff on the command line. And it installs a collection of scripts at that level, which means that, and and also uh, puts itself in a position to run at any time. And what it does is it has found a way to hack the database that supports the accessibility dialogue in your security settings so that it can add the Dropbox app to that um, accessibility dialogue. Why is it doing that? Dropbox does not provide a reason. And in the days that followed the discovery of this backdoor, if you will, they they have responded, but sort of implied that they're doing it because they may want it in the future. And we don't really know why. So, so I know so I know you got out of Dropbox, but like suppose I go in and just disable that, what will that do to Dropbox? Right. Okay, so nothing. That first off, the first thing that'll happen is nothing. You you can remove it from your accessibility settings and Dropbox will continue to function normally. But before long, you will find that Dropbox has put itself back in that accessibility dialog. Oh, even without with it, with it, even if I remove it. Even if you remove it, because that's what one of those scripts does is ah. it monitors that the database that's backing this thing and seeing if it's there. If it's not there, put you back in. So and, you, and this would be something that if it was an App Store app, Apple would not allow, right? Good Lord, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no. So there's a lot of outcry about this because it is a very serious compromise of system security. It circumvents Apple's very carefully placed uh, safeguards against apps that can control stuff outside of the user space. Right. So it's kind of a big deal. Um, We may trust Dropbox as a company, but any vulnerability inside the Dropbox app itself that could be um, taken advantage of by hackers also puts your entire system at risk because they can use a vulnerability inside the Dropbox app as a vector to control your entire Mac. And so you may trust Dropbox, but the fact of the matter is anybody who is able to break Dropbox then can have this control over your computer. And let's face it, we're talking about millions of Macs because so many people have this thing installed. So huge risk factor. And Dropbox did not consequently say, we're going to get rid of this thing. Um, they, they just threw their hands up essentially and said, this is how it is. Um, so Dropbox is out of my life. I, I got rid of it and I've moved to iCloud Document Store. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I'm okay with that. I was also experimenting with Microsoft's OneDrive, which is a, a Dropbox alike, essentially, with uh, a much better deal for much more data. <laughs> but um, I, I just, uh, this whole exercise sort of brought home to me, like, what am I doing here? I'm trusting, like, you know, got this, like, crazy process running on my computer that's watching a folder and syncing everything that happens inside of it to some cloud service. And, you know, it's just another thing I don't need, Right. When Meanwhile, I'm spending $15 a month to get a terabyte of storage for Apple with uh, iCloud. So why not use that? And it's a process that's already running on my computer. 
And I know that Apple's privacy stance aligns with my own. So let's try that. And that's what I've been doing for about the past week. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Cause uh, I mean, I had to up to, I was using the free version of Dropbox forever. Yeah. Um, but I had recently had a project where um, I had to store more than I had in my Dropbox and that was a requirement of the job. So I had to ante up and, and buy a terabyte or whatever it is that the basic setting has. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that sucks, man. They, they, they're evil people. I mean, even though they're doing no evil per se, but the fact that, that they'd laid this thing open, and as you said, it's not just not Dropbox we have to worry about exactly, but it, you know anybody that compromises Dropbox at some point in the future, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's the big concern. That's the, that's the part that should have people concerned. So, um, you know, I, frankly, if, if I have to give advice to people, um, as painful as it sounds, you know, I think you really have to look askance at Dropbox. If you're not currently a user, I do not recommend you become one. Uh, and if you are a user today, then um, you owe it to yourself to consider other options, at the very least. Hmm. How about you, Jaime? Are you a um, Dropbox user? I mean, we are all hmm. Dropbox users because we, we share our episodes of this podcast together on that thing. Um, right. I'm not a very large user, so it won't be very difficult for me to switch to something else. Um, you know, making the sausage for the show, uh, notwithstanding, um, and coordinating on that. Uh, I don't know. I'll consider some other options. I mean, I'm definitely keen on having multi-platform support. So, uh, Google drive and Microsoft's OneDrive come to mind, uh, as potential alternatives there. There are a few others that are, are not immediately jumping to my mind uh, this evening, but uh, yeah, I'll consider. And I'm, I'm not even sure that it's like, I, I don't really get the sense that it's a nefarious thing from Dropbox. I think it's just kind of a misguided and, and as you guys mentioned, like a dangerous thing if, if uh, something should compromise uh, what's been done here. That's my sense of it as well. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they're bad. I just think that they um, are trying to take too much power. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. Just what you were saying there, Jaime, about uh, cross-platform capability being important. You know, there is iCloud.com, right? So, like, any computer that you're on, um, you should be able to access your files that are in Cloud Drive. Right, right. So in, in, in some limited capacity, for sure. Um, but the, the seamless native integration, uh, at least as a nice option, is, is something I'll consider as one of the factors. Not not saying it'll be a, a like overwhelming factor, but it's... Just one of those things that uh, I'll have to think about. And that's fair. That's absolutely fair. I mean, like, and data storage is an intensely personal thing, right? Um, so, you know, how you how you use it and how you it fits into your workflow is super important. And this security thing that I'm talking about tonight is also super important. <laughs> um, but it may, you know, be lower on the scales than, um, than other considerations. Like, you know, like I get Dropbox. I know how it works and I'm comfortable with it. So shut up, you Aaron Vay. I don't have time for you and your, quote, opinions, <laughs> unquote. Um, while I'm talking like this, I'm confirming that uh, iCloud.com does have your iCloud drive and all your files are there. Um, and so, like, I moved all my, like, I got about... I don't not even a lot of documents when you get down to it. It's about uh, three or four gigs of data, um, which are now I, sitting in my iCloud store, which were previously Dropbox and then OneDrive. And so so my, my biggest problem with, with the whole Dropbox thing is, um, you know, I have hundreds of project folders in there that are shared with other clients and stuff like that. Uh, but, but I have one that's particularly large and, 
Um, I, I actually had to go in and do that selective sync thing and turn off that stuff because I don't have the room from, on my hard drive. I don't have a terabyte of free space on my hard drive, right? True. Um, I don't even have – so whatever I have in, in Dropbox, it might be – I mean, I, I use a, a, my backups. I have a terabyte you know, USB drive that I store that stuff on uh, so I have it at my avail if I need it. But um, – like I generally run with like you know anywhere between sixty and zero space on my hard drive, so um, I have more than that on Dropbox right now. So I mean, if I move that to iCloud, does that mean that I have to have that amount of free space on my um, my no, Mac as well? No, you right? do not. Yeah, you don't. Uh, so iCloud Drive lives in the cloud and um, will by default in Sierra, right? So the next next OS version, which comes out next week. Um, will store just thumbnails or p- placeholders, if you will, on your desktop, on your computer. Yeah. So to and me, to me, the challenge of, of again, like a, my disk space issue, we can talk about that as a, as a, a segue, but um, if that's the case, then yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to move to iCloud Drive because that's exactly what my problem is. I have a problem with, with Google Drive and, uh, and Dropbox in that, yeah, sure, I can have all this space in the cloud, but I have to have a copy of the same files locally for the sync to work right yeah yeah you don't have to have that now like what if we we have to take for granted that iCloud um as envisioned by Apple and how it would work in Sierra uh works as advertised right mm. uh but assuming that it does and I think every indication is that Apple's really got their act together uh when when it comes to iCloud um really with, yeah really like everything I've heard about uh the the iWork collaborative documents feature which again like like photos for example, um, iCloud Photo Library, um, all the stuff that's based on the Cloud Kit. Like ever since Apple came out with Cloud Kit, right? Okay, yeah. Because I was thinking like, about they, iCloud Core Data kind of. Yeah, we've really got to put right? that out of our minds. You know, like yes, Apple <laughs> Apple screwed but the pooch hurts, on that years man. ago. I know yeah. it hurt past tense. It doesn't exist anymore. They've kicked that to the curb. It's history. And then Apple shook its head and said, "We've really got to rethink web services." And then two years ago, or is it three now? They came out with Cloud Kit which is a complete reinvention of how they think about uh, cloud-based web services, right? Which they've iterated on, and now they're building their own primary apps on top of. So we've seen the first one was, was Photos with iCloud Photo Library, which has been phenomenal, right? A phenomenal success. And then we've seen um, collaborative features in Notes, which came... Uh, which is coming with iOS 10. And now in macOS Sierra, we have uh, iWork with its collaborative features, which I think is based on all the same stuff and based on CloudKit because it's all through Apple ID, right? It's all behind Apple ID. And uh, the CloudKit frameworks uh, are built to support that stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually have a lot of confidence that Apple's got it right with um, with CloudKit these days. Um, so that's why I'm willing to trust them with my documents. And I know, I know, guys, I know that there have been a lot of problems with uh, with iCloud in the past. But we got to remember, iCloud is an umbrella marketing term. It is not a single technology. Right. But I think given Tim's reaction to it, and I think it's a much more uh, nuanced reaction than like maybe even the average person would have, kind of, I think, points out the fact that they really have a branding problem with it. And if yeah, it was kidding. me, I'd be like, uh, we're renaming this thing Apple Cloud. That iCloud thing sucks. This <laughs> Apple Cloud is way better, folks. I mean, otherwise, it's kind of like Ford coming out with a 2017 Pinto, right? It's like, oh, uh, really? Wasn't that the, the car that explodes? 
Right. Just, like, <laughs> just, just dump it by the wayside and everything's going away from I something and coming Apple something. So there you go. Free, uh, free, yeah, I, free advice to the multi-billion dollar company. I like that. I like that. I, I, I would subscribe to that. But uh, I don't think they're going to do it. <laughs> they would have done it already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because they've got the solution now. You know, they're just, they're just going to roll on with it. It's iCloud. So that's good stuff. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty happy with it. And so far, so good. Uh, the only thing I kind of miss is the collaborative stuff. And I think, Tim, you were touching on this a little bit, too. That um, with Dropbox, you have a public folder. And you can drop any file in there and instantly share it with someone. Yeah, that's a, that's an issue for me. Is, is and that's again, yeah. like I said, a large project. I have to store it right, and I have yeah. to be able to share it. Exactly. And so I need I need something else to fill that particular gap, which is a need I have from time to time because I I cannot I cannot have a public link that anybody can download from iCloud Drive. As far as I know, <laughs> I can share. Yeah, if I try sharing it, then it just sends the document itself or whatever it is. And that's not what I want. I want to link to it because it's too damn big to send. So I'm going to try to find something else for that. Maybe it'll be a pick on next week's show. Do you have anything else you want to say about this? No, I think that's, uh, guys, that's, that's quite good. <laughs> okay. Wait, wait, wait. I have something to say. Whoa! Whoa, holy smokes. <laughs> oh my God, I think I just crapped myself. <laughs> don't, don't crap yourself. That's, that's not good. Here goes with the diapers again. Yeah. Tammy! <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know. I'm trying to run a show here. <laughs> I'm crashing your party. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I've been looking at the pictures on Twitter, Tammy, and I see that there, you have a lot of people over, and you're, I mean, check your house out. You've got, like, this beautiful deck and this, like, colonnades and, like, frescoes and stuff and a hot tub and a lot of space no, there. It's, it's total, huge. It's photoshopped. <laughs> okay. Well, no, listen, it looks like a very impressive home you have there. Well, thank you. But I, I have to jump in on this conversation with the whole Dropbox and, and uh, iCloud. And I just downloaded iOS 10 for one of my devices. And just like any time I update, it says, oh, do you want to use iCloud Drive? I'm like, no, no, I do not want to use it. I want to use Dropbox. Stop asking me. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like for what Tim said, you know, that whole having the public folder. And I really need that. And with iCloud Drive or, or even, you know, the, the old technology as they call it i i can't do it totally can't do it yeah that is a problem uh did you hear what i was saying earlier about no because tim is a is a, yeah. a, a microphone um hog hog yeah i couldn't but hear is he a headphone hog you he's couldn't a headphone hear hog. He's yeah a... okay. she wasn't even in the room when you started talking about this yeah so how come you can hear him because yeah, i can hear him through the spilling i know but i side. tried to hear him through the end uh, i can't hear what he's saying but yeah okay good <laughs> I'm guessing based on what you're saying. I'm not sure how to operate now. <laughs> anyway, Tammy, listen to the show, and then you tell me if you still want to use Dropbox on your Mac. Um, and my my advice to you would be use Dropbox, fine, but um, uh, just use it for your public folder, maybe, and give iCloud uh, Drive a try because you can use both. You know, you, you, it's okay that uh, you, you use both at the same time. I won't lie. Today was the very first time when I did an update and I was like, oh, maybe I should do it because there's going to come a time where I can't use the old technology and it's going to be like, oh, you really need to do this. But I said no. I didn't want to upgrade. And now now you've got me second guessing myself. Well, third guess and then give it a shot. 
That's why we're here. That's why we're here. All I did was come in here to grab some keys. So I'm going to go grab the keys and hand over the mic and the headphones to Tim and leave because I've got Photoshop to deal with and making my house look like a mansion because it's totally not. (laughs) Okay. Um, Best of luck on the show this weekend. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Aaron's going to be so mad. (laughs) He can hear you. I'm, I'm so so pissed that I'm that. I think that was, think that was intentional. <laughs> yeah. She don't care. Yeah. Timmy Gore don't care. She don't care. She don't give a crap. Nope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got jury duty to look forward to on Friday. Oh, that's right. Day. I forgot that's about that. That's why I can't go, right? So uh, I'm terrified. I'm officially terrified. I, I just want you all to know that yeah. uh, should I be selected to attend a jury then i'm going to be in a whole lot of doggy do it's so, very strange that we do it on a friday because i think i'm pretty sure that i had to go on the, at the beginning of the week and and it was like the commitment was it might be five days it might be five months but ended up being like a couple of hours and they said okay you can go see you in three yeah, years i hope that's what happens i really do well anyway uh inside well, baseball <laughs> mind you that's uh, that's your you're in uh, pickering the, the hive of scum and villainy aren't you uh, yeah, it's Oshawa, actually. Oshawa, yeah. BuddyBuild is a mobile-optimized, continuous integration and delivery platform that takes just minutes to set up. Thousands of mobile development teams love BuddyBuild because it's the fastest way to distribute their apps to users and gather bug reports, feedback, and crash reports. Then, use built-in integrations for bug trackers and tools like Slack to seamlessly integrate that information back into their development process. With a simple screenshot, testers can send their feedback directly to you, along with important diagnostic details. If your app ever crashes, BuddyBuild will record the frequency, affected users, and traces back to the exact lines of source code that caused the crash in the first place. BuddyBuild gives you even better visibility into crashes with Instant Replay, a video recording that shows exactly what your users were doing when the app crashed, giving you the exact steps needed to repro the issue. BuddyBuild gives development teams like yours perfect insight into bugs and empowers you to iterate on your app faster than ever, knowing you're building an app your users love. Join the thousands of developers who have already added BuddyBuild to their development process. Try it free today at BuddyBuild.com. Anyway, uh, so uh, you missed the taco meeting last night, um, unfortunately. <laughs> you got the evening I, I had instead. <laughs> it was yeah, awful. I saw it was wonderful. You went to you went to learn how to make butter. No, and, no, uh, no, no, no. My daughter is performing a play at this oh. uh, Pioneer Village, and so I was simply her ride. But uh, boy, the communication there was terrible, and I got waylaid. I got told off. Uh, it was a terrible, terrible evening where a lot of feelings were hurt, not just mine, um, and. Uh, it was a, just a bad night. I wish I had been at the taco meeting instead. So is that the Pioneer Village up by Steeles and Finch where York no, University it's, is? it's in Pickering. Oh, there's another one. Yeah. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. That's, oh, okay. um, oh, yeah, I know the one. But anyway, yeah, it's a different one. <laughs> so back to taco. Um, yes, taco. Dennis Pilarinos did a demo yesterday of... Um, he was, I mean, the, the group, a lot of users at Taco already use BuddyBuild, so he didn't spend a whole lot of time going into the, the, the meat and potatoes, but he did a sort of high-level demo uh, with an app, and he walked through, you know, setting up an app by, you know, checking it out of GitHub and then, you know, creating, uh, and then choosing somebody in the audience to build onto their device as a tester. And, you know, it literally took him like 10 minutes to do that as he's talking through the process. And, in fact, you know, once it got onto the guy's phone, 
he couldn't install it because he didn't know the provisioning profile. And he says, okay, well, let's just, let's just, you know, request it. And he went back into the configuration. It went to the, another email went and said, hey, you know, click this link. And actually what happened was it clicked from the phone and went back to the device. And all of a sudden Buddy Build had the information it needed to go back to the Apple iTunes account and automatically provision this device. So like, you know, nothing up my sleeve kind of amazingness, right? Um, and he went through the whole process with us, and he showed us how you know it integrates the crash reports come back with you know you can integrate them right into your your um, whether it's Trello or Jira or whatever you can take a trash, crash report right back in and create a, a Jira ticket for that particular issue automatically again, which is kind of cool, right? Um, and then I, last time we talked about Buddy Build, Mark asked about that instant replay. Uh, feature and that's something you you opt into it's not built into your app so if you don't want to use instant replay what it does it copies it records like the last you know 10-15 seconds of interaction between the user and the device so you can sort of see where uh what they were doing when they were when they ran into this trouble and as well the the report you get back as the crash report is quite detailed in fact it'll actually show you the line in your code where the error occurred kind of like you know a symbolicated crash load crash report would do now but again 99 percent of the the head you know the hair pulling you get from using itunes connect or even uh, xcode development tools to do this kind of stuff is is magically you know taken away by using buddy build so it actually is pretty cool the other thing that he was able to do because they've got a large large number of app developers using buddy build he was actually able to share some statistics with us that we've been kind of wondering about right and some of the surprising ones were um, that of all the apps on the App Store, only 3% use have, include a watch app. Think about that. I don't only think that's, a, that's not a surprising number to me. But it's ridiculously low. No, I think the number of apps in the store is ridiculously high. Okay. Perhaps, perhaps. Um, and then, but tvOS, uh, the other number there um, was 0.3% uh, use have are, are paired up with a with a TV iOS app. So yeah, again, it, that doesn't surprise me either. But and also, you know, the 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 numbers that we hear out in the, in the industry are that the watch business, the Apple Watch. I, I saw a stat the other day. It was I think it was a hundred million dollar business. Okay, the watch uh, business itself, right? But the most surprising one, and we, and we talked about this. Uh, I guess not surprising. It's not really surprising because we did. We speculated after WWDC when they told us how many app, apps are on the App Store, and how many apps are now you're using some Swift. Uh, in, I think it was in the in the platform state of the union, and I forget what the number was. But we when we worked it out, it worked out to something like five percent. And then I think Greg was on that show, and he kind of extrapolated that maybe he thought it might have been closer to sixteen percent are you are written in Swift as opposed to Objective C, right? I mean, but the the actual number Dennis said is around eight percent. He didn't he didn't keep that he didn't include that slide in the presentation, but he told us that, which. It's surprising. It's amazing how much uh, the marketing machine or marketing muscle of Apple has put behind Swift and the adoption rate of Swift. We all talk about it all the time, right? But yet, um, a significant number, 92% roughly, or in the 90s, uh, are still written in Objective-C. And again, again, Aaron, I, I see your point coming that it may be that there's that many apps in the App Store uh, that predate Swift, but it's still, uh, it's still uh, a, a slow climb, right? Well, sure, but you know, again, I'm not I'm not worried about that at all. I mean, we hear only about Swift 
from Apple. Right. Which which is fine and fair because Apple is imploring us to use Swift for new projects. You can't ignore the fact that there are one and a half million apps on the store about and uh, the vast majority of those, of course, were written in Objective-C. But there are going to be fewer now that the great app cleanup of 2016 is underway. So we, we have that to look forward to, and those numbers are going to go up. Um, so just, just to throw a little bit of numbers behind the percentages, right? When you say 3% include a watch app, um, if, if there are, in fact, 1.5 million apps, you're talking about 45,000 watch apps, which That's true. That's sounds true. like a big number to me right <laughs> yeah um 0.3 of course would be 4500 uh tvos apps that's true right yeah. again yeah. Uh, a pretty big number and you know kind of jibes a bit with the depth of that store as i see it yeah and it also could be it could also point out an opportunity for people you know since it's not a saturated market right no not even close uh but you know Again, what kinds of apps are appropriate for that platform is the question. That's true. That's I, I think, true. you know, time has borne out the fact that uh, it certainly has its place, but not every app belongs there. And ditto with the watch, you know, it certainly has its place. Now, <laughs> I could actually go on for a while now about a particular watch app that doesn't exist, and that really ought to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to leave that for another time. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Okay. As for 8% of apps, uh, so a little bit of math on that, 45, 90, about 100,000 apps, right? Uh, yeah, written in Swift, yeah. you know, and that's... Or some Swift, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you, you say that number and you're like, well, you know what? That's a lot of apps. That is a lot of apps, yeah. It's a lot of apps. Hmm. Well, when you consider, what is it, 350,000 yeah, 350, app developers out there? Is that the number? I'm... Yeah, actually, I don't know what that number is. Yeah, it's. I think I, uh, recently, I, I remember writing it down because we, we talk about that one occasionally and we, we never quite get it right. And I remember making note of it um, either in my notebook or, or my one of my iOS devices. But um, suffice to say that that um, whatever number you just gave us is, is 100,000 100, apps is, is a high percentage compared to the number of app developers that are out there, let's say, right? Like yeah. that would be a third mm-hmm. of the app developers if you think of it. Yeah. Is that safe to say? I guess if that's the the actual number. I, I don't I, I have no memory of what that number actually was. So Yeah, I think gonna, Apple I think, Apple, I think like. <laughs> Apple posts it on on the marketing pages for the developer site. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's on hmm. there somewhere. Yeah. So, um on the whole, I would say that uh, these numbers don't strike me as terribly surprising, I guess. Um those adoption numbers with watch app tvos apps don't surprise me um you've got react native here on a line uh, but no number assigned to it what is well that? it's the actual the, at the top of his slide i wasn't sure about that but he was talking about hybrid versus uh native right oh hybrid is in web slash native right? yeah yeah oh, and, I see. and uh, i don't know why he at the top of the slide he the, i took a shot of this one and he had he had react native there but i'm not sure the the number that was surprising that that six percent of apps on the app store and when you see it on a pie chart it looks quite you know striking uh, that uh, only six percent are are using hybrid technology so he didn't include some of the other ones that um, don't, oh, they don't they don't support. Okay. Right? Here's my guess. Here's my guess that Buddy Build supports React Native as an integration, but they not do. yeah yeah yeah. But maybe they don't have it like a generic JavaScript implementation, which any other hybrid app might use yeah and it was and so one, of those, other, it's one of those other one of those other totally uh like i, I think it's a, the microsoft one that does I'm, I'm thinking there's some sort of uses you know the same sort of html javascripty kind of um com- I, 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 I 
can't even remember the name, but he did he did say specifically he doesn't they don't support that because they don't. Yeah. yeah. So it's this is limited to the to what they can see, right? Not not a true reflection of the market because yeah. I'm certain that there are a ton of hybrid apps out there, more than six percent. Yeah, and one thing just to close on on the Buddy Build piece is that he did say that uh, the Mac, uh, sorry, yes, Mac OS um, development, uh, they don't have a fully supported version yet, but they do have a beta version. So if people are working on Mac OS and they want to work with Buddy Build on their app um, and they're willing to deal with all the sort of nonsense you get with beta stuff, uh, he's happy to uh, to talk to them and, and give them access to a beta copy for that. All right, cool. Yeah. Which um, I don't have to stop at anymore now that they've been finished the 407. Hey, that's something else we should touch on real quick. The maps. The maps. Yeah. Uh, I find it frustrating, but this is, this is a little bit inside baseball. It's, it's local color, but uh, it is sort of emblematic of what's, what the heck's going on with Apple and their mapping efforts. They, by all reports, have started to employ real numbers of people in their mapping department, such as it is, and in an effort, of course, to provide the best and most current map data, given that roads and situations change from time to time, um, and to clean up and improve existing data. Well, let's see now. I think it was June 1st? Yeah, it was around there, yeah. That um, one of our local highways, a toll road, which uh, is a four-lane highway, uh, that uh, that was about 150 kilometers in length, um, got a brand new extension going through my part of the world and was joined to another major highway by a, a connector highway, the 416. So the 407 goes through Durham. 416 connects the 401 and the 407. These are major highways. These are as big as highways get, okay? and They're, they're like interstates, in other words, yeah. Yeah, yeah, basically. So big deal and huge implications on modern maps of course because any any route that you might take that isn't in town anyway should at least consider whether the 407 is a viable route and uh june 1st comes the highway opens and you know nothing (laughs) so i'm like okay well i'm sure it'll just be a few days or something google maps updated in no time at all uh i'm still waiting for apple maps now after a few days i reported this to apple they have a reporting mechanism and i just let them know that hey you know we've got two major highways that have gone in and it's still not there i heard nothing back and it's still not there um and then i thought you know let's complain on twitter because that does tend to get things working i went to apple support and told them the same thing showed them screenshots from google maps and in the same sort of magnification and location showed them the same shot in apple maps where these highways are missing and they're just farmer fields um and they wrote back and they said well you can report here and i said i already did that and then they never responded to me which is surprising to me because i you know and and you'll see in my pick i've been using the um the apple uh, uh navigation you know when you're driving around to to different right. places and in fact um uh, we used to turn, as we went to our cottage, we used to go along the 407, and then we would turn just north of where Aaron lives. And, you know, I used to just log into to Swarm and say, hey, Aaron. And I would carry on up sort of minor highways. But now that this 407 is open, I can cruise right on past Aaron and, and catch up to our another main highway that we used to go up to our cottage. And as he said, since June, it's actually been free for, it's a toll road, but that section of the road has been free. And I've been using it for months, and, and I can see many other people 
people are using it as well. So I'm actually surprised yep. that Apple hasn't uh, at least figured out that why are all these people cutting through these uh, farmers' fields? You know, exactly. Yeah, I, it's mystifying to me. So I, it just makes me wonder what their op- update process is like. You know, if if this had been like somewhere in rural New York State, would this be the same issue? Um, is it because we're in Canada and they just literally do not care? I don't know. I just drove through a bunch of back roads on the way way here to Tammy's house and t- this morning, and and at one point Siri took me off, and these little like they were like literally the width of a couple of cows roads that and they were on the maps and I, it happily navigated. So it's a mystery as to why. Maybe it's just an up their update process is just so far behind, right? So. Yeah, well, that's that's a serious indictment, if it is. Well, there was that debacle back in in, and I've, I've kept the screenshots, so maybe I'll put them in the show notes. But of the the issue where they, in Australia they were directing people to a compl- like like leaving them stranded, they were taking them, to, they were going to some national park or whatever, and they would go down this road and they would run out of gas, and there's no gas stations for like 150 miles, you know. Um, and there was an issue where they were on the Google map. You could see it was pointing; it was going to the right place. But on the on the Apple map, it was com- leaving them in the middle of the outback. You know, Do you yeah. remember that story? I, I don't, but I guess I would say that the the thing to keep in mind about that is mistakes are going to happen, right? It's it's how long it takes them to fix it. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> you true. know, uh, like you know, Google Maps has errors too. It's just like what's their process, and you know how responsive are they? And in, in Apple's case, at least, I can say their process and response rate seems to kind of suck. <laughs> like, and this isn't just like a new housing development with some you know side roads. This is like a major highway. So I yeah. don't get it. And the yeah. navigation piece, I'm sure it must be, well, especially with, with CarPlay integration, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, last week maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, with that, you would think that they'd want to make a serious effort of having this stuff updated regularly. But there you go. I guess there they don't. There you go. They don't. So, uh, Bad Apple. That Stop was a segue. Rest. That was a segue. That, yeah, that was, was it? <laughs> no, it was, I mean, it wasn't a segue. What we call it a sidebar. Sidebar, sorry. Sidebar. That was a sidebar. Yes. That was a sidebar. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so okay. let's let's have the courage and conviction to carry on. <laughs> now that's a segue. <laughs> that's a segue. How are you doing? I know how you do. Okay, so um, I found a couple of very cool articles that I enjoyed from some of my favorite bloggers, and uh, this is all in follow up to the Apple event last week where they Apple introduced its new iPhone Seven. Uh, we should actually talk about that a bit, but also the AirPods and. I'm just going to point both of these out and put the link in the show notes. One of them is by Ben Thompson at Stratechery and the other is by Neil Seibart at Above Avalon. And both of those links will be in the show notes. They both kind of end up in the same place. So I'm going to discuss them as a group. And I think Neil Seibart really tackles it the best. Um, looking at sort of the iPhone and what it's doing sort of, as a market performer and kind of fading a little bit, right? Like we're kind of seeing if, um, if there's a flow of the market as it gains popularity, this is a period where it seems to be ebbing and we're probably not going to find out what Apple's phone sales are like when the iPhone seven launched, but that has been the trend. It seemed to a lot of people, um, you know, and you saw all the news in the press, uh, the response to the iPhone 7. Yawn, more of the same, same design. Uh, if you have an iPhone 6S, don't even bother updating. If you have a 6, it might be fine anyway. Um, so there doesn't seem to be a lot of excitement about the phone. And some people are looking beyond the phone now and seeing what's next. And 
Neil Seibart and Ben Thompson see a lot of future and a lot of excitement in the AirPods. And, you know, a lot of people weren't, weren't very impressed with it because I think they were still very much caught up in the idea of losing the headphone jack. What? We're and, losing the headphone jack? <laughs> oh, my God. Who's, whose idea was that? It was Apple's. And um, why, why are they doing it? Because they really believe in the future of wireless and they're going to kick us screaming down this path to this wireless future and they're providing the, the means to do it in the form of these airpods now why is that so airpods are the disconnected thing that you put in your ear and are very unobtrusive they last a long time they're easy to connect they solve a lot of the problems that bluetooth has has in in terms of connecting and uh, latency etc um airpods solve these problems but it seems to both of these gentlemen that uh, this this AirPod, as an invention, is heralding a new future, a new type of wearable device that may even supersede the Apple Watch in terms of the sorts of interactions that you can have with it. And I think it all comes from Siri. So you know that when you have an, an, an AirPod in your ear... Um, if you know this from reading it, of course, because no one has one yet, right. but that if you double tap your AirPod, you activate Siri and the AirPods have a directional mic so it can hear what you're saying quite readily and speak an answer into your ear. All right. Now, everyone kind of takes this for granted. Oh yeah. So that's the feature that Apple did. It's great. It sounds nice. Um, but oh my God, the headphone jack has been taken away from the iPhone. Stop thinking about that for a second and think about what it means to have this kind of AirPod thing in your ear that is always going to be available and is private, really. Like, think of it, how you interact with Siri today, either via your watch or your phone or your iPad, where you hold a button down and you, you talk at your device. Um, and then the device um, speaks back to you over the speaker, right? With the AirPod, at least, the speak back part is just in your ear. It's private right? The response is private. The question is public. The response is private. And these two guys think that that's going to be a big differentiator. And I can kind of see where they're going with that. And it's not just Siri. I mean, it's, it's, it's the things that Siri is going to become in the future. Cause they're not just thinking like the AirPod of October, 2016. They're thinking of the AirPod of the next five years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the most important thing being like, what, what are these services that Apple is building, like what we think of as machine learning and um, artificial intelligence, you know, all of that stuff, which is in rapid development and the subject of great interest by all kinds of vendors out there, Apple, Google, um, Amazon, you have it. You've got something that's actually um, going to become incredibly powerful. And so... If you remember that line from Phil Schiller about courage, which a lot of people got offended by last week, right? I think in a way, and I'm trying to see which one of these two said this. Um, go right here. Yes. That Apple shows courage because, um, as Jaime will tell you, they're very weak at services. And there are, Apple is, that is, um, <laughs> There are better vendors for this thing. And, you know, Jaime's girlfriend, uh, Alexa, who can understand <laughs> and do so many more things, right? And Apple's just 
you know, objectively not as powerful there. And so the courage that Apple has is by making a big bet on a new technology, the AirPods, which are going to become more important as the years go on here, based on this services notion, right? So AirPods will become more potent, more powerful, more relevant if and if Siri becomes more powerful, more relevant, more capable, right? right. right? And today, Apple doesn't have that. So Apple's courage in this sense is them making the bet on that, knowing damn well that they don't have the best answer for Siri uh, today. They are running there to give themselves time to iterate and hold off their competitors so that they can improve Siri and make it the the best product it could possibly be. And the AirPods are going to be the channel for doing that. Yeah, I think that's that's quite an interesting interesting take. I think it'll be interesting to see how things turn out because it, it definitely is a, a big bet. And I, I will give them credit for the improvements to Siri on the watch. It's tons faster on the watch. So that's a, that's a good sign, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love how Apple is really iterating hard on Siri to make it uh, an improved service, something that's going to understand you more accurately um, and respond with more relevant stuff. I mean, it still gets so much wrong, you know, like every day I can ask Siri things and um, and it, it flubs it, misunderstands it, gives me something that's not relevant. But I think the true measure is that it gets enough right where I do find myself going back to Siri and using it for different things. Um, I don't, I haven't given up on it. And I, I think that's probably the biggest uh, success measure that we can give to Siri today is that, well, you know, it exists. It's not perfect, but is it so imperfect that you've given up on it? No. Oh, yeah, it's 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 so much more reliable than it used to be in the past. I mean, I I don't use it every day, but when I do use it, I'm actually delighted that it does work. Um, you're right. If you try and ask, you try and have a conversation with it, you're, you'll quickly learn that it's just a dumb machine. But um, you know, setting alarms, you know, making reminders, you know, asking for uh, like if I'm driving and I want to ask it, you know, to look something up for me. Um, it generally does that pretty well. And, 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 you know, I haven't really had to, back in the day when you had the Newtons and the, and I, I'm also a Dragon Dictate user uh, of, of, not lately, but you had to spend, you know, much time training it to understand or learning how to speak to it and also training on, on how to, how to interpret what you were saying, right? So it's it, out of the box. It's understanding people, which I think is amazing, right? Exactly. And, and, you know, I, I think it all comes down to the, the way that it's built um, to be like a, a mass learning platform. So it's, it's learning from all of the queries that hundreds of millions of people are pumping into it daily. It's interesting. There's a, t- there's a TV show I was watching. I haven't been watching it for in a few years, but it's the same sort of thing where there's a, there's a machine learning computer that's been set up and there's a bunch of mercenaries who run around with these little things in their ears and they're constantly com- communicating with each other, you know, about this sort of you're always being watched kind of thing is the sort of subtext of the show. But uh, the fact that they're they're using this kind of technology to, like you said, you were saying before, to have these private conversations. You can actually talk to Siri without other people hearing what she's telling you kind of thing, you know, place the red bet, you know, um, but it, it, it's, it's, the technology is becoming more commonplace. I mean, I'm, I'm in a, a place today, you know, and I see it all the time, people on iPhones, people on, you know, tablets, you know, um, there's a person here at the at the at the place I am at today that came with an iPad 
twelve, you know, twelve point seven with an Apple pencil, and they're using it like you would, like they're using a regular device. It's stuff becomes commonplace, and I think Apple kind of leads that way in a sense too to do that, right? They have the marketing muscle on the size to uh, to make mainstream things that other companies have tried but have not necessarily succeeded at. True, and, and we um, talked about Apple sitting back and sort of letting other people go forth and, and make some baby steps for them to come in and improve on as well. That's something that Apple's been doing for a long time as well. Definitely. So uh, on the whole, I'm very excited about this. Um, I, I cannot wait for my AirPods to arrive. Can't wait to order them for that matter. Hey, yeah, can we have them at the sidebar? Sure. I was just saying, Sorry, before, you, before you do that, I was just going to say the, Air, the AirPods seems to be the sleeper of that last keynote, right? Like, I think or, it is. I really do think it is. I mean, it's certainly uh, these two guys do. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, when I saw that, I was like, finally, you know, because I think I've mentioned this on the show several times in the past, that Apple needs to be making wireless earbuds. Well, yeah, we um, did talk about that, yeah. And to my mind, it feels like um, a way to, like, the ultimate way to integrate Apple technology onto your person, right? Because we've already got a watch. It's a thing that's on our wrist, but now we've got the things in our ears, you know, what's next? The thing in our eye, right? So what's going to, um, you know, replace the glasses? You know, I know Google Glass is a huge failure, but, um, you know, how can we have infinite screen everywhere? Um, I'm spitballing here, but uh, to my mind, no, true. that would be an amazing technology that uh, is still probably many years away. But contact lens displays come at me, yeah. you know, and then it doesn't matter like that. You're that the only Apple device you have on you is your watch in 10 years. That watch is going to have the com- computational power of a Mac Pro. And uh, <laughs> and I just need a big ass display. Well, it's right there in my contact lens. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. Well, we were we were talking to on on. um uh, roundabout a couple of weeks ago, we were talking to Dermot Daly, Dermot Daly, who runs Ool Conference, and he was talking about um, how, you know, I think it was him. Uh, imagine, you know, if you will, what we were doing ten years ago with you know internets and the information we had. And now imagine what kids are kids have at their avail right now. Everything we have on the internet, everything we have on devices. What are they going to be able to do with it? You know, where we were yeah. all just flailing away on Commodores and. Sinclairs and things like that. Well, actually, what they do with it is they they play the most preposterous, inane games uh, that you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they watch YouTube videos and Let's Plays, and um, they they fritter away their their time on it because to them, this technology has always existed, and (laughs) it's nothing special to them. That's true, that's true. In a way, I feel sorry for the younger generation who didn't see the progression, right? Who weren't there for the, the, you know, evolution, or, you know, sporadic, huge leaps in technology so that they can appreciate what they're doing here. You know, like we saw the iPhone 7 with the A10 processor, right? Um, Seems to rival current desktop Macs in terms of processing power. Like we're seeing all these uh, benchmarks, right? Um, And that is amazing. Like, that's incredible. (laughs) Like, I'm going to have a thing that's in my pocket, which is almost certainly more powerful than my my pokey MacBook, right? (laughs) Like, I can't even, I can't contemplate that. Kids take it utterly for granted. That's true, it's true. Oh, sidebar, you wouldn't have a sidebar? Uh, sidebar was on uh, which iPhones, because we ordered last week, right? Some um, of us, yeah, yeah. Some of us, yeah. Jaime? Mm-hmm. I was uh, okay. definitely ordering, yep. Yeah, so uh, let's just go around and say what we got here, what it, or what we ordered. Tim? Well, I kind of got my days mixed up again. Oh, no! 
and I uh, I kind of didn't. Well, I, I was actually kind of busy writing my talk for for uh, tomorrow, but um, so I completely missed that Thursday 3 a.m. was when I was supposed to get up and order. Friday morning at 3 a.m. Yeah, well, yeah thir- well, to me, <laughs> that's thir- to me thir- yeah, exactly. But that's yeah. what I mean. I kind of I kind of thought I had another day there because I got all confused about that. Anyway, uh, so I didn't order a personal phone, but I did manage to order a couple of phones for the company. So as I said before, um, I'll have a look at them and then and then I'll be able to make a more educated decision. I, like I said, I was disappointed when I saw the size of the 6 after having bought the 6 Plus. Um, I, you know, because I really, you know, I, at, at that time I wasn't running in circles where there were lots of phones around. But when I got to like a conference and all of a sudden, you know, like there's a whole bunch of us there with the things I could sort of see them. I was, I would have thought I would have been happier with the six. However, um, the seven camera still to me is, or seven plus camera is still very compelling. And uh, I was talking to somebody at Taco about that last night. And, and uh, it's not, you're, it's not going to replace a, a digital SLR, but it is, you know, for a lot of us, it's our main camera, right? Um, and I shoot a lot of shots and, and uh, I think that's something I'd be interested in. But like I said, I get to play with one before I get to make the decision. So that's, that's a good thing to have. Yeah. What about you, Jaime? I ordered the seven plus in the silver style and 128 gigabyte storage size. So you had no doubt, like that's exactly what you said on last week's show. Mm-hmm. Um, I just listened to that this afternoon, listened to you saying that. Uh, so you are as good as your word. And, oh yeah, it um, was super easy yeah. to, to get through. It wasn't, uh, you know, I've listened to a few other podcasts and folks like had moments of panic deciding and then stock was running out. So they had to choose something that they may not have had the the right choice for had they not been under uh, duress but for me it was uh, i knew it way ahead of time what i was going to get when's so, it arriving well it arrives when i am in nashville so um i'll be picking it up after the conference okay but you'll have someone there to receive it at home on friday so friday is when you're getting it i actually went with the in-store pickup uh just because oh, i wasn't 100 percent okay. sure if uh, okay there'd be somebody there for the signature delivery confirmation yeah, that's playing it safe. Mm-hmm. And you managed you managed to order. Sorry, and you managed to order it directly off the app, like at three a.m. or whatever. Yeah, I guess it's safe to say now because people will almost certainly forget a year from now. Um, therefore, leaving more stock available for me, uh, he says selfishly. Um, yeah, yeah, using using the Apple Store app and having your credit card set up, having um, Apple Pay if you have it. Uh, setup is like by far the way to go because it it opens up exactly on time and it's by far the most um reliable and seamless way to order yeah i think that was uh part of my problem um i i did leading up to order time um have a lot of second thoughts about which phone i was going to get but uh by the time i set my alarm and woke up at three in the morning i was decided on the seven plus 128 in jet black so that's the phone I ended up ordering. Um, unfortunately, uh, either due to the massive uh, popularity of that particular model um, or the fact that my credit card, although I had made, made sure it was set up properly um, earlier that day, uh, still asked me to enter my security number again uh, in the ordering process. So my phone was delayed by a couple of weeks. Uh, so it'll ship wow. either, you know, in one or two weeks now, and I'll have it either on the 27th or the 4th or somewhere in between there. So that was, that was again ordered at three o'clock in the morning? Yeah. yeah. Wow. But um, like I said, there was this uh, little delay while it was asking me for credit card details. And of course, um, I cannot use Apple Pay, as you know, 
uh, or as past listeners the show know, um, because none of the stuff I use is supporting it. Um, so yeah, I'm looking at a couple of weeks delay, but you know, everything I've set, seen, uh, since, since then, uh, suggests that it is far from just me. Um, most people who ordered a black seven or a jet black seven plus, um, are waiting. We're not getting it on the 16th. Yeah. I, I thought I heard something about the seven was or seven plus jet black was, was going to be delayed anyway. Wasn't that the case? I didn't, I'm not sure. I didn't think it was shipping right away. Why, why do I think that? No, no, I think you might be confusing a couple things. One, how quickly that stock uh, ended up selling out and getting back ordered, and the fact that people are talking about the fact that the Boca feature is not going to be there on day one. It's going to be an update um, sometime oh, after the Boca feature. Right. Okay, right. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. That's that. That's what it was. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm a little disappointed, but I'm okay. Um, I'll be fine. And frankly, jury duty on Friday, so I'm not going to get it anyway. So. <laughs> um, it's just well, but it is definitely notable that the um, the iPhone Seven Plus in jet black appears to be um, very much in demand. I was actually just wanted to go there now and uh, see how bad it is. Well, why you do that? Safe to say, Mark got the he ordered as well, and I believe November. he got he got the uh, seven, the regular seven. You didn't go didn't the regular go. seven, just like he said too. Yeah. So why did so so you have a six now, right? Like a yeah, that's reg, right. A regular six, a plain old yeah. ordinary crummy six. And so why did you why again the camera was it the, the camera thing? The camera, the camera, the camera. Oh. Also the camera. What about the camera? Uh, well, that was kind of a factor. Okay. Yeah. Uh, definitely a huge deal. And I just uh, I remember when the six came out and the six plus had optical image stabilization. So that that was kind of a big deal, and I could kind of sense the way the winds were blowing, but I really felt like the smaller phone was more more for me. Um, but this time, the, the differences are much too stark. Um, so I've, I've got I've got to go with it, and <laughs> I'm just going to see how it fly, how it plays. If I hate it, if I hate it and hate it and hate it, then I will do something about that, and I'll sell it and get another one. You know, because I, I bought it outright. So, you know, it doesn't have to be a crippling, you know, life-altering decision. Oh, yeah, that's that's right, too. Um, I contacted uh, Rogers and asked them um, what it would cost me to, to get the phone. Because we talked about it. I think it was over $1,000 for the regular phone, like the 6 or 7, I should say, the regular 7. I can tell you now because I'm looking at it. Um, by the way, the 7 Plus in Jet Black is... November shipping. Yeah, yeah. So in Canadian dollars, you're asking. So a jet black, one twenty eight, uh, iPhone seven, just the regular, is a thousand and twenty nine dollars. Yeah. So so Rogers would do that for me for around five and a half. Okay. So which is you know when you think about it, a little bit more palpable. <laughs> There's that word Palatable. Again. Thank palatable. you. Yes, palatable. Uh, and palpable was last week's word. Yes, okay. Palatable is this week's word. It's tasty. It's, it, it sits right yeah. on my tongue is what you're saying. Well, it's a subsidy, right? That's what they're saying. Yeah. That they'll, I, you, you pay 500 and something you know and what? then you pay the rest off. Because I don't believe for a minute. If, I'm not going to change my, my, my plan with Rogers. I don't, I don't believe for a minute that they're going to give me a discount on a, a phone. If uh, That's Tammy's new dog, by the way, um, if you can hear him. Can you hear him? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> anyway. Don't care. 
I don't care. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that it's it's to me it's a much more reasonable price to pay for for a phone, and I don't believe that they're going to discount me anything. And let me maybe twenty dollars a month or a month off my bill. It's, you know, for that, you know, I'd, I'd rather get the subsidy. And well, then, that's the subsidy system, right? Like you pay over time. That's what it's all about. Yeah, and and the other one, the other uh, the seven plus would have been six seventy five. I want to say I don't have my notes with me, but that's yeah. that's what I remember. Yeah, that sounds about right. But you know, do you remember the good old days when a when a phone was you paid two hundred dollars, or or not, or or pretty much not much? I, I you know, I think the first yeah, the first iPhones were. I think iPhone was the first time we really started paying for phones because I can't remember back in the BlackBerry days ever having to pay for a phone other than paying for it on the plan, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Yeah, no, th- there was usually yeah, I do. I, I never had a BlackBerry. Uh, my my first phone that wasn't a feature phone. Um. But even then, I remember having a couple feature phones before uh, getting my first Sidekick, uh, which was which is the thing I got instead of the BlackBerry. I was paying a little up front, and then and then uh, a subsidy that was on my bill. And they the carriers did a lot more to cover that up back I, in the day. What kind of device was a Sidekick? A sidekick. Um, like it's a, it's like a pre precursor phone? to a smartphone. Um, oh, okay. It it kind of looks looks like an iPhone, um, except the. The, the screen kicked open. I'll give you a link in the show. Oh, no, yeah, I do remember now. Yeah, they had a keyboard on the side or something like that? No, the, the screen flipped open, and there was a oh, keyboard okay. underneath. Okay, okay. Yeah, I vaguely remember um, that. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll put a little uh, link in the show notes that you can look at. Okay. Um, it, was, it, was the, it was made by a company called Danger, and they, were in, <laughs> and they ended up being bought the by Microsoft. Danger Sidekick. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, it was pretty cool. I love that thing. I thought it was amazing. It, it was a Java operating system. Um, maybe you could put that in the show notes since we're talking about it. But uh, sure. it was a wonderful little device. Um, and it was the first thing that, you know, you were online all the time. It was on edge networking. <laughs> Remember that? Edge? It predates 3G. And um, although later on they offered 3G models. Um, but it had email, you know, so you had your email. And it had web access. And it was like, kind of like real access to the web. Oh, not um, that, not that web stuff or whatever it was. No, WAP. Yeah, WAP. None, none of that. Um, and it was, it was like for reals. It was a real smartphone. So, like the jump between this and the iPhone was not as extreme as it was for other people that didn't have one of these. Put it that way. Right, right. I really liked it. Okay. So that was that. Okay, sorry. Let's close the sidebar. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. That was a good sound effect. Uh, Officialize <laughs> that. Um, okay, I want to talk about one more thing here. Um, then Jaime can ha- have a turn. <laughs> uh, ceramic. Now, one of the things that Apple introduced at last week's event was a new a replacement for the Edition Watch. Yeah, the white uh, iPhone. Which, which yeah, uh, sorry, white, white watch. watch. Yeah, yeah white yeah. watch. A, a white ceramic watch, and it's made with zirconia ceramic. Okay, and this is a type of ceramic that uh, that uses a, a zirconia powder. And there's an article on Quora. Quora is the question and answer site that uh, is sometimes uh, answered by some very informative people. And such is the case with this one. A fellow named Brian Rommel, uh, who is a self-titled alchemist and metaphysician, <laughs> has, uh, has written an answer to a question about what will the iPhone 8 be made of? And that is, of course, referring to what will putatively be next year's iPhone. And his his response is, I think it's going to be made of zirconian ceramic, uh, just like the new Apple Watch Edition is. 
Um, and he goes into uh, huge detail, <laughs> say huge detail about the benefits of ceramic construction, what Apple has done uh, to create their own brand of ceramic, such as it is, um, how it's treated, how it's made, um, and what you know what it looks like and and how it behaves and the the sort of benefits of it and uh, sort of five points there it's super strong it's stronger than steel it's radio transparent unlike the metal cases of today's iPhones um it's hugely heat it it displaces heat uh so it's very good just like metal does uh but it's also incredibly scratch resistant um and it's super easy to, to assemble so it's it's easy to work with from a manufacturing standpoint um probably cheaper than uh the metals they use the aluminums for example so uh it's sort of ironic i guess a little bit that apple is uh, charging way more for a white ceramic watch um which you know the materials are actually less expensive it seems so this was a very fascinating article and if you're interested in considerations about what the next iphone is made of um take a look at this article and get a sense of um, what what ceramic is all about um and i tell you i'd really love to see one of these watches in person um yeah i'd like to know, see them i'd like to see them uh, made because uh i saw a shot of it looks like they're are they using like the cnc process to drill them out of uh like a block of ceramic that they make or something like that because no it's like a, it's an injection molding process okay because i was going to say because being, being an artist you know um working with ceramic is an additive process where you build up uh, material yeah. as opposed to you know carving where you carve away like the CNC processes carving a, a Mac or a watch or a no, iPhone no, case. No, it's not like of, that. Yeah, so so this no. is their this is their their they have a mold of some type and they're they're yeah it's like po- making porcelain if you will that's the same sort of thing you usually make or a, plastics. Yeah, you make a you make right? a, a form and then you inject it exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so there's and, two. Okay. Well, I was going to say, but and ceramics has been around since since the cave days. You know, as far as the material right. for building goes. Yeah. Yeah, and so there. This this fellow who wrote Brian Romel, he's um, he's looked at particular patents that Apple has filed uh, for manufacturing processes around this kind of ceramic. Uh, so he's he's got quite a bit of insight into uh, how they're doing it. And so he's they're they're using two techniques: ceramic injection molding and ceramic gel casting. Um, so casting and, and injection molding as mm. as ways of manufacturing these parts. Right, and uh, must, must yeah, be so fired no somehow. no milling, yeah. yeah. Can imagine. So anyway, it's kind of a big deal, and I think it's going to be um, like you remember back in the day we had um, plastic. Everything that Apple made was plastic. Yeah, right? like the three, <laughs> the, the iPhone three G. Uh, yeah, I believe. Yeah. Go go even back further, right? Like all the Macs that. Oh were yeah, the MacBooks, cases. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. everything, everything. <laughs> um, and then finally, with the titanium PowerBook G four, I think that's the first time they used metal. Yeah, bit, to, bits of metal and plastic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but the then book, titanium yeah. was their titanium was their building material, and then it became aluminum because titanium had a whole bunch of problems. Right, it it just did not age well. Um, but aluminum uh, sort of became that glowing pinnacle of Apple building material, and it has stayed that way for what fifteen years? It's crazy. It's been a long time. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, not quite fifteen years, but a very long time, and so. It's it's finally possible to see that they might be switching away from that. It might not be aluminum anymore. Ceramic might be the next big Apple material. Mm-hmm. And they appear mm-hmm. to be building up a ton of expertise around it. So anyway, read this article. It's fascinating. Um I hope I hope you enjoy it. All right. Do you wanna do you wanna talk about UI feedback generator? 
Yeah, just briefly, because, um, you know, Phil Schiller kind of talked about this sort of thing super briefly. And in fact, he did it so quickly that it confused the heck out of me. Right. So last week I was erroneously saying, like, hey, didn't he say something about like you know, this home button would be customizable in some way? I got really confused because he didn't really talk about it. No, no. Actually, what he meant was, um, oh, the Taptic engine that we use underneath the covers to power this uh, this new home button that's not actually a button is also something that separately and altogether unrelated to the home button is going to be customizable by developers. And what I have here for the show notes is um, something that Paul Hudson has put together for uh, hackingwithswift.com that shows an example of using this new API in iOS 10, the uh, UI feedback generator uh, classes. There's there's three of them for the subclasses, the notification feedback generator, impact feedback, and uh, selection feedback. And uh, they make use of the Taptic Engine, so it's only going to be there for the uh, 7 and 7 Plus uh, apparently, and since I don't have one, as I mentioned, uh, I can't actually try this out myself, but it looks pretty interesting that you can have the notification feedback lets you do uh, three system events, right? Error, success, warning. The um, impact feedback generator gives you the ability to have uh, light, medium, and heavy effects that are, you know, use your best judgment as to how you're going to use these uh, and, and how this feels in your app. And one that people have been talking about uh, on Twitter is the selection feedback, uh, like the picker wheel that people are saying, oh yeah, it kind of like helps reinforce the fact that you are moving um, what would be a physical thing, right? Even though we've gone away from a, a, a purely skeuomorphic world, it's still kind of nice to get that like tactile feel. So I'd say, yeah, take a look at this article. It's pretty easy code to look at. It's one of those things I want to try as soon as I can uh, crack open my uh, my phone and, and see what it does. Um, I think it's quite neat to see this sort of thing because uh as somebody who wears the apple watch every day i can tell by the vibrations that occur like oh what sort of thing am i getting am i getting email is somebody calling me am i using the uh, maps generation uh, sorry maps directions and so i see this thing could hypothetically be pretty cool if developers use it correctly and uh i think wisely and sparingly right don't don't keep buzzing the thing for for giggles and grins one thing I'm curious about here is, shouldn't there be some kind of check to see if it's available before you're running this code? Like, if uh, iPhone 7 or something? So apparently, uh, according to this article, the other devices just silently ignore the uh, haptic requests. So you, you don't have to worry about it, like, crashing on you, right? And so it's like, oh, you know, everybody but the 7 and 7 Plus blow up. I think they uh, implemented it in such a way that... Uh, I guess there doesn't even have to be a guard. You don't even have to check for availability. Just call it, and it probably just no-ops if you don't have a device that has the capability. Really? And you were saying that you were saying that you can tell by the vibration what kind of a message you've got coming to you? Sure. Like, uh, there, there are some that are a little confusing to tell. Um, I'm struggling to think of one off the top of my well, head. Well, have you, have you, like, so, so today I was driving in a car, and I was using my phone to navigate, because I'm obviously in a strange state, right? Um, state in terms of the country I'm in, not state in terms of my frame of mind. Yeah, yeah, we got that. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and, and of course, you know, the watch gives you feedback as you're driving, and it kind of taps your wrist when it's about to tell you something. Is there a difference in a left turn and a right turn, for instance? Yes, there's a... a at the very least, a difference in the um, almost like a Morse code kind of thing that it's doing. Uh, right. And I don't even actually remember which one's which because I just kind of incorporated the feel into my my brain, right? It's like 
like a really fast one for right turns, I think, like a really fast repeating. And then it's more of a for left. And I might have that reversed. I just go off of the feel. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. It's something interesting to try. Just a quick hit again. Phil Schiller made me terribly confused. I apologize for confusing everybody else. So hopefully this sheds some light on the subject. Right on. Okay. I think we're into the pick time. Yeah, so let's uh, let's do the picks, Aaron. Uh, you got a pick? I do. I might have two. Oh, I know it's what? terrible. What? What? Uh, wait, I know. wait. I... Dogs are sleeping with cats now. What? What? Well, that happens all the time here. <laughs> um, I'm going to make it one pick, but it's going to be part of a slightly broader discussion. Um, and if um, I, I apologize to our listeners who don't care for me talking, because I seem to have done quite a bit this evening. However, I'm going to continue. <laughs> so. My pick of the week is an app called Reveal, which I believe we've spoken about in the past on this show. Uh, It's a tool for developers that... No? I don't think... We've talked about it. Of course we have, because we've talked about visual debuggers before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we must have. But... um, So Reveal is a a UI debugger, essentially. So you run an app, an iOS app, (laughs) obviously, and then Reveal can show you the entire view hierarchy, and it breaks it out into a gorgeous 3D rendering so that you can uh, zoom and pan and uh, spin the thing around and look at it from all angles and see every view uh, that makes up the layers of your app and identify them. Um, And it's a a huge assistance in terms of debugging your layouts in an app. And so uh, I've been using Reveal for years. Um, Now, just yesterday or the day before, uh, they came out with version 2, long-awaited, and it has a number of terrific improvements, uh, not least of which is improved layout, uh, easier integration, um, more intuitive, I think. Uh, as well as uh, one thing that I've been dying for them to implement uh, since day one, which is searching the view hierarchy um, using either the name of a layer or a view, uh, or more importantly, a memory address. And uh, super important because imagine you're trying to debug a constraint issue, right? You see a constraint warning you know, pop up in the console. You guys know about all this, I'm yep, sure. Yep. Uh, there's, a, there's a constraint conflict and it shows you a bunch of views that are, or constraints rather, constraint objects that are in conflict. And it only gives you memory addresses unless you've gone to the trouble to name those constraints, which few people do. Um, so now you can take that memory address and you can go into reveal and pop it in. It'll show you exactly what constraint it's talking about. Um, that is going to take years off my life and I cannot wait to get started with that. Um, so that's the one big headline feature for me. Uh, it's just going to make, uh, make it so much easier for me to work with. Uh, so any, any developer, any iOS developer, rather, uh, if you're on the Mac, you're kind of screwed and to hell with you. Uh, that's basically what everybody believes. <laughs> Can't count the number of times I've, I've wished for reveal, uh, or even Xcode's built-in view debugger, which, uh, is sort of a takeoff on what reveal does, but does, isn't nearly as good. Um, I wish that they had that for the Mac, but alas. Um, now the larger point I kind of wanted to make while I was bringing this up, and this is why I'm sort of a two-part pick this week is the discussion that I had with my coworkers today on the Slack uh, when we were talking about Reveal. A couple of us were you know, speaking rather enthusiastically about it, and then another of the developers, none of these guys are going to be named, so apologies, but uh, um, this other developer was like, you know, it costs 49 or $59. I think it's 59 US 
and uh, he expressed some astonishment that that we would spend money on a, a development tool when there are many free alternatives. Um, and this definitely came up in the context of the other thing I want to show, show here, which is also new this week, Git Tower, a, uh, a new version of the beautiful Mac uh, Git GUI app. And it is brand new. I don't use it myself uh, because I'm a big command line guy, always have been. But uh, other other members of my team speak very highly of it. So uh, this developer was saying, you know, why why pay for apps that you can find great free alternatives to? And my response is basically like, look, it's it's way better to spend money, and we make plenty, thank you very much, on on these apps that are beautiful and functional, and and get the job done much more efficiently. Uh, than if you hadn't had these apps, you know, like you may be a great developer, but um, this is going to give you superpowers if you use it, right? If you True. adopt this tool. Yeah, right? and, pay, like, and paying I, for apps helps them make them better and make more of them. Yeah, well, I, I think you can even take that off the table. Never mind that. Because let's let's pretend we're totally selfish, okay? Let's just pretend we're totally selfish. And of course, I agree with you, Tim. Absolutely. But a good app made by developers for developers gives you superpowers that you didn't have before reveal app gives me superpowers it makes me a better developer because it gives me a capabilities that i never had before right right right, yep um and you take any app that you would spend money on and i think of other things like paw uh which i've spoken about in the past on the show um and reveal charles Charles proxy exactly i spent good money on that a couple weeks ago um dash the documentation viewer all of these tools um, are beautiful, beautiful, functional, and powerful development tools made for Mac developers, iOS developers. And they, they make me more efficient, and they take hours out of my day, which, um, you know, and the, the money that they ask for them is a pittance compared to what they, what they give me. Uh, so we are incredibly fortunate, and I could not be more delighted to spend money on these tools because they really do make them back in no time flat. So that's the point I wanted to make, and that's my pick of the week, Reveal in particular. But if you're a Git user, uh, take a look at Git Tower, which had our big update this week. Cool. So I want to ask mm-hmm. you as a follow-up question to that, especially since you said you can't use uh, Reveal on a Mac, I believe, or Mac OS uh, apps. You can't target a Mac okay, app. Okay, so have you, worked, have you used recursive, de- recursive description before? Yes. And that doesn't work for you? You can't get a memory well, address from that? or uh, Yes, actually. If you do recursive description uh, in uh, your console, right? That's what you're yeah, talking exactly. about. You, yeah, you can, you, you can see the view hierarchy. Uh, right. And, yeah, and its, its output is text. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. Yep. Um, but that's like, you know, <laughs> in a real view, like a view where, you know, like the kind of stuff that I'm working with, um, I could put that into a page, um, a word processor document, and it would be like 40 pages of text, you know, so it's very difficult to work with. Whereas uh, a view debugger like reveal, um, it's all graphical. And so it's uh, much more readily able to be dealt with. Right. I think that, that memory address one would save a lot of time because I, I do try to do um, named constraints where I can because it will tell me, oh, a constraint Joe Bob got broken to satisfy this thing. Oh, thank you. I'm going to go take a look at Joe Bob. But it's sometimes not always practical to, to have um, those name constraints. But if I guess like, look, okay, memory address hex value goes here is, is the yep. problem. And I could just shove it right into reveal. That easily pays 
um, many times over. Uh, the exactly what 119 for uh, assuming a commercial license that's assigned to a company. Like I, I'm pretty sure I could convince a manager to. To oh, yeah, that. no problem. Yeah, certainly. So yeah, I, I haven't used Reveal. I, I think I had it uh, probably in a demo version about two years ago, I guess. So because uh, one thing I do find the visual debugger, I use it to sort of see how things are layering. Like if I'm, if somebody's you know making calling something too many times or something like that, or or, or a layers behind another one. But one thing I find frustrating, like you said, is is it doesn't give you enough information about the actual object that you're looking at on the screen. Like you can't say, well, what is what is making that green box, for instance, you know, um, and I, as I recall, Reveal used to be able to give you more information on, on that, as you said, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it gives you everything that it can, uh, like every property of UI view, essentially, uh, is available to you. And so if it's, even if it's got layers, if it has layers, that information's there. Um, accessibility information, like I was just going through and doing a pass on our app for accessibility. Um, and localization in the last couple of days and reveal was enormously helpful there because you can you can uh, select any object and it'll tell you what the um, localization or sorry the accessibility information is well that's um, that's a good great great suggestion there because the accessibility viewer on um, the simulators is horrendous we have to use it's it all the time because you can imagine we we we're in banking and we have visually impaired users all the time right yep. um and uh yeah so that that sounds like something i should introduce to our team because because uh, that's a good point because we do spend a lot of time uh, on checking out accessibility bugs and defects right Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's it's a huge help. Like I I've been doing that too, Tim, uh, and and trying the simulators accessibility. Yeah, we we loaded onto a device because unbelievably yeah, bad. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So get reveal instead. All right, we'll have to take another look at that. Thanks for that. Okay, uh, Jaime, do you have a pick? I do. Or just two co- or three or four. Or- just a couple of uh, quick hits here. Um, one is called tree. It's a directory listing command. It's available for all sorts of wonderful operating systems. But if you're listening to this one, you're probably interested in uh, Mac OS, uh, which it does support. Um, I've got the link here for the show notes that shows the uh, Linux homepage for, you know, sort of how this is done. It's open source. You can contribute to all sorts of things, but tree is a nice little tool that will show you the directory listing um, in a, tree format right so um you know i might list something with using like ls and a couple other things as i'm like spelunking through my file system looking for you know what's going on here where did i put this where did the code put this oh my god you know that sort of thing and and this is like super helpful to do that um it's quite um verbose out of the box oh uh, my so goodness I, are I, you I, kidding me i kind of uh recommend that you a recursive f grep yeah yeah, I, I, I would say <gasps> that you should uh, read the man pages and go find a couple of switches that work for you and then write some aliases in your, your bash profile to or Z shell to, to handle that. Um, but it's great if I'm like, oh, uh, man, I, I know this this code should be creating the right structure. I'm having trouble writing a test for this. Oh, OK, I, I see what happened here. I was, you know, misunderstanding what was happening here. It'll save you tons of time. Wow. Never heard of this one. Neither did I. I. I don't actually know how I ended up in my notes. Probably spelunking through uh, like Reddit or something. Yeah. If you're on uh, the Mac and you have Homebrew installed, you can do a brew install tree and it'll give it to you. That would be my recommendation. It's way easier than doing it from source or... Um, like some kind of filthy animal. Yeah. <laughs> cool. 
wow, like I, I just, uh, I went to a tree on my home directory and, uh, it spit out the entire world. And I just had to break it because uh, it was never going to stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can Holy set cow. filters for like minimum file size. You can have it show you file sizes and 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 different um, and directory sizes in different uh, formats to make it easier for you to look uh, look at. So nice. check it out. Cool. What else you got? The other one is is uh, an app. It's not ah, really yes. uh, brand new per se, but it's been out for uh, you know a few weeks. Uh, this is Google Duo. This is, as they mentioned at uh, Google I.O. this uh, past summer. It's sort of like their cross-platform answer to FaceTime. So if you imagine FaceTime on iOS, this is perfect uh, as an analogy for that. Uh, and you might wonder, well, what the heck, why, why do I even care about this? Like, well, uh, if you're like me and you have folks who are not in the Apple ecosystem for whatever reason. Then you got to cut them loose. <laughs> That's Sorry, true. was that the wrong answer? <laughs> Android people green are people bubbles. too, right? Uh, <laughs> um, uh. But in any case, this is uh, hopefully one way that um, you can sort of seamlessly bridge the gap and have similar functionality. Like, not everybody has Skype, and not everybody has you know a couple other apps. And uh, I'm hoping, 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 hoping that um, many Android folks end up using Duo because that will make it a whole lot easier to uh, communicate with them. What do they use now? Tin can and a string or what? There's like Google Hangouts. There's a oh, couple other apps. On, on their iOS um, devices or, or sorry, on uh, their Android devices? On their Android devices. Yeah. So like just think about how nice and seamless it is that, you know, if you know the other person has an iOS device, FaceTime will just work. Um, iMessages will just work. Uh, Google's answer of the many times they've had answers for this are uh, Duo, which I've listed here, and Allo, which is not out yet. And that's sort of like the iMessage equivalent that uh, I'll be checking out at some point. Because I ended up... Hmm? Oh, I was going to say, I, I ended up having a, like a rather sad situation with somebody who were like, you know, a friend of mine, um, they uh, had to move back to India, and we were like, okay, how are we going to communicate with this thing? Is it well... Um, can't really use FaceTime because you're an Android user. Okay, uh, do you have this? No, this isn't available. My country. Okay, do you have that? And I was like, okay, it, Google's products will almost certainly be in, in most places. So I'm I'm hoping this sets up bridging the gap. So my daughter approached me last week, as she does when she wants to install a new app, and um, she's 12, and so I'll hasten to point that out uh among her friends some of whom are android users but mo majority of them are iphone users they have this new app that they want to use and that they currently are using uh to video chat in groups uh a la google hangouts okay uh, notably um duo given his name is is just between two people right mm -hmm. but this app called uvu o-o-v-o-o -O, is a group video chat application of course, you can chat with just one person, but it also allows a group of up to 12 people to get together and have a video chat. And my daughter has this installed and her and her friends are using it to have group chats of four, five people at a time. Um, and it seems to work very, very well. Um, also, uh, is it's everywhere. It's on everything. Uh, so it's um, Mac, iOS, Android windows <laughs> believe it or not so uh that seems to be a good solution too if you if you want to try something different that has like multiple lots of people support 
yeah the the challenge with these things is always like what's the the user base like and how much does that overlap with the people you're actually contacting um yes of and, course and, and it's it's crazy that in 2016 this is even a question it's like oh i can't call you because my phone network doesn't work with your phone network right it's like the equivalent thing like oh sorry i can't call your phone number because you use a completely different technology so um hopefully some of this will, will shake itself out but yep uh, I've, I've heard the name uvu um uh, and looking at here in, in the app store uh, it looks pretty interesting so yeah i think give these a try i had never heard of it what it's worth cool tim what do you got yeah just serve one second here what way is he going to go, Tim? <laughs> funny, funny guy. Um, yeah, so, um, again, I was approached by a, uh, I think he's going to be 14 soon, uh, a nephew of mine. Um, they were, they've been, they've moved uh, to Ontario from Calgary, and they've been talking about this. They've been up at the cottage, and somebody up there introduced them to an app called Waze, W-A-Z-E, or W-A-Z-E, for those of you south of the border. Um and what it is is a, a shared or a sort of a crowd, I don't know what you crowd, not funded, but crowdsourced um, navigation uh, app, basically, that replaces the navigation of um, the your Siri, I, I don't know what you call it, maps navigation, GPS navigation. What do they call that thing? In It has a name. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Apple Maps? No, you know when, you, when you're driving from one, you want directions and it does the... Uh, turn by turn that's what they call it turn by turn navigation that we have in ios replaces that um with a slightly different kind of thing and what it instead of just giving you the best route from from a to b you know it actually gives you the best route from a to b based on actual real-time feedback from other users of the app so you know you sign in you, you can either use it anonymously or you can sign in and it shows you what's going on so today i was driving from uh nashville to tammy's place which is you know between it's far away from nashville a couple of hours um and on the it's a very small interstate it's like a couple a couple of lanes on going each way divided highway kind of thing and all of a sudden we we ground to a halt. So I thought, okay, well, here, let me open up Waze. And I sent it, I tweeted out a screenshot, if you want to look at my Twitter account. Um, and it shows you where the accident is. So it shows a couple of cartoon bumped cars that are bumped together. It shows you like a red line where everybody's slowed down to either rubberneck or merge in or avoid the thing. And, uh, and so it shows you that. As well, it also shows you other things like it shows you where the police are along the, the route as you're driving. Um, and it's all based on, on other users' feedback. It also does things like reporting on the cheapest gas prices at a particular gas station, if you will, right? So, so what, it, uh, what it can do, though, in real time is it can suggest the best route from one place to another as opposed to the optimal route from one place to the other. So based on the actual real-time con- conditions when you're driving. And it's, I guess it's kind of a fun-looking app. So and and I believe Waze was bought by um, Google. I just was googling about it earlier mm-hmm. today, and it's now called Google Waze. But uh, yeah, so I, I don't know if you guys had heard of that app before or Tim. It's like the oldest app ever. <laughs> it's been around since two thousand six. Okay, it's one of the ones you can easily forget about because it's since <laughs> um, Google bought it, it hasn't been quite in the limelight. Like okay, you know, some some uh, feature updates come out here and there, and I think they've. Uh, gotten better about rededicating themselves to to really enhancing that product had you guys seen it before oh yeah god knows Mm -hmm. like i said ancient ancient history yeah um 
2013, Google bought them for $1.1 billion. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, uh, it, it, and before that, it was a very well-known app and used by many people on Android in particular. Yeah, I, I think I, I vaguely remember hearing um, that kind of thing. And I, I thought kind of thought that's sort of how Google Maps works because it, it uses the shared uh, information from drivers using Google, right? I guess yeah. mm-hmm. maybe that's because they bought the Waze technology. I don't know. I think that may be exactly how. Interesting. So, yeah, very, uh, very well-known app and uh, used by many, many people. Well, to a 14-year-old, it's a new app. Good. Well, that's great that people are discovering new things. Or old things. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. Our work here is done, Tim. Yes, it is. So, Aaron, if people wanted to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Go to the Twitters, and at Aaron Vay is my address. And Jaime, if they want to find you on the interwebs? Also on Twitter as at DevWithTheHair. All right, and my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter. And that's about it, and we'll see you guys next week. All right, later. Bye. Bye. You've just experienced the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. By the way, are you a BB Edit fan? Uh, I have it, but I, I do prefer TextMate. So are you a, well? You're a fan of the developer. Forgotten his name now. Barebones, Rich Siegel. Rich Siegel. He's on the latest issue of Release Notes. It was a very good interview. Okay. You should go listen. And it's going to be a two-parter. So he was he was in there talking because because remember he had that. They asked him about the announcement of leaving the Apple Store, and yeah. they asked him about why what he's doing with TextMate versus BB Edit, you know, and how he's they asked changing. Him about TextMate. Well, he writes that, doesn't he? Is that no. his app? No. TextMate is a different editor, text editor. Right. I mean, you're uh, thinking of Text Wrangler, his free version. Text Wrangler, of right? Yeah, sorry, Text Wrangler. Yeah, 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 yeah. Text Wrangler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says a lot of people get Text Wrangler, but and they, you know he's got to find some way to convert them to uh, to BB edit. edit. So yeah, and he did just change his strategy on that too. Yeah, so Text so, Wrangler, I think, is dead, and now there's a sort of free light version of BB Edit. Well, there always right? was a there always was a trial version of because I I was using the, the BB Edit Lite forever. And then, then one, one day I realized, you know what? I've made tens of thousands of dollars making websites using BB Edit. I better buy this, you know, and, and legitimize myself, right? Yeah, no, Text, so. text Wrangler still exists. Okay. Uh, just but he, you're right, he is changing it. I, I suggest you go listen to the show. It's a, it's a good, uh, if you're into that, into that, uh, that dude. Hmm. What I'm really surprised with is that he doesn't have an iOS text editor you know they, they like, did ask him about that too yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. oh do they still they still sell yojimbo huh 
Yeah, I know that was. I, I, I noted that when I did link it in the show notes, but because I, I know you said that you didn't think it was still around. Yeah, I don't know if it's that. really well supported, as you said, right? No, it's uh, it hasn't been updated in a long time. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's still there. Go figure. Mm. I often yeah. wondered what it was, and I didn't even know until you said that. Because, like, like I said, I've been on the BB Edit site forever, you know, because I even have stickers from like an old ancient Macworld somewhere, right? Anywho. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is your hair still like that? Is that what your hair's like now? Yeah. I mean, there's a um, lot going on straight up. Uh, I don't know if it's exactly the same. I mean, it it it, it does what it, it does it does what it wants. Uh, so it, it's in the same vein for sure. And uh, yeah, I explicitly did not get a haircut this past weekend because I said, hmm, you know, the fans want to see the dev of the hair, and uh, <laughs> I just have to suffer for it. And and I said, all right, yep. I'll, I'll do this. They they got to see the full meal deal. Fantastic! Wow! You go. Wow! Mm-hmm.